0: My name is Paul Wilson and I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills and I want to begin by just saying welcome. We are honored that you've chosen to join us here in the room today and for those of you that are watching online either at home or on vacation, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us. For the next two months I'm going to be speaking to you because our senior pastor Brad is on sabbatical. I want to encourage you to be praying for Brad, pray for his wife Elfie, pray for him just to be rested and rejuvenated over these next two months that when he comes back in August, he'll be ready to lead us as he always does. We've been talking about a series called The Way, and we're going to be moving into this new series. It's kind of a continuation of The Way called The Truth this month, and then next month in July, we're going to be talking about The Life. But before I jump into what these new texts are about with The Truth and The Life, I first of all want you to think about a concept. It's a concept called Either Or. Many of us live our life and we think about things in an either-or way. And many of us actually read the Bible that way. And sometimes our belief system is wrapped around this idea of either-or. Let me give you a quick example of it. If I were to say right now to each of you, am I either tall or short, what would be your answer? You have to pick one. It's either tall or either short. So we're going to raise your hands. How many of you would say, I'm tall? Got to choose one or the other. Okay, how many of you would say short? not as many. Well, thank you, I guess. I don't know if it's sometimes it's nice to be taller than shorter, but most of you pick tall. But what if there was another way to think about the answer to that question? What if it just wasn't either or, but what if it could have been both and? See, many times we make these decisions based on maybe what we think or compare it to ourselves, or maybe you were comparing my height to the national average of Americans right now at this time in history. But what if I was to walk over to our nursery and I was walk over there into the, the little kids area, maybe the kindergartner room, and I would ask all those little kids, do you think I'm either tall or short? Almost all of them would say what? Tall, because I'm a lot taller than them. But what if I was to go to an NBA basketball game, get onto the floor with all those NBA basketball players and ask them that same question? What do you think they'd probably say? They would probably say short. So you see, I can Maybe it's both and. Maybe I can be both tall and both short at the same time, depending on the situation, depending on the context, depending on the people that I'm talking to or evaluating for that decision. Let me give you another example of this idea of both and kind of thinking. Just this week, I was both mad and happy simultaneously at the exact same time. Many times we think we're either mad or we're happy. It's one or the other. But I was mad and happy at the exact same time. You see, it was Thursday night. Remember back to Thursday night, I don't know what you were doing, but I was watching the Phoenix Suns eliminate the Los Angeles Lakers from the playoffs. It's okay to make some noise about that. Yeah, it was a very happy moment. For those of us who are Suns fans, it's been over 10 years since the Suns have won a playoff series, and so I was extremely happy on Thursday night. I was just loving the moment. As soon as the game ended, with all this happiness that I had, something immediately made me angry made me mad, made me upset. It was weird. I wasn't expecting that emotion to come in at the exact same time. As the game ended and everyone was shaking hands, I watched LeBron James walk off the court, go back to the locker room, and not shake hands with anyone. And I was so mad. I felt like, man, what poor sportsmanship. What a bad example to set to others. So in the midst of that moment, I was happy and I was mad at the exact same time. Does that make sense? Can you understand that? Before we begin, I want you to think about that for a quick second. I want you to turn and face the people that you're sitting next to. If you're watching at home, go ahead and talk to the people that you're watching with. And just take about a minute and answer this question. What's an example in your own life where you've been both and in some way at the exact same time? So go ahead and talk about that for about a minute, and then we'll continue on. All right, thank you for sharing with one another here and for sharing together at home. As we start this this new part, part two of this series, I want you to have that concept of both and versus either or in the back of your minds throughout the entire summer. And I want you to be thinking in those two different categories and see where it's applicable. So we've been going through a series called The Way. And as we've been talking about The Way for the last couple of months, Brad has been talking about how the early followers of Jesus, were actually called followers of the way, that they had a certain way that they behaved that was different from all the other people around them. You see, the early Christians were surrounded by two main cultures, the Romans and the Jews. And both the Romans and the Jews behaved differently than the Christians did. So just for recap, we talked about how the Romans had this mindset and this behavior that everyone else should assimilate into their culture. They would just take, everybody had to come and do whatever they were doing, assimilate into their culture. That was their predominant way. The Jews, on the other hand, wanted to do the exact opposite. They were thinking either or. We don't want to become like the Romans. We don't want to assimilate. And so they were thinking we need to isolate. We need to stay back, not participate, not get involved in anything that the Romans were doing. So assimilation. Versus isolation. But the Christians came in and said, you know what? Maybe there's times when it's both in. Maybe there's times when we need to assimilate. Maybe there's times when we need to isolate. But our primary way of behaving is going to be to infiltrate both of those cultures. The Christians decided that they would infiltrate the Roman culture and the Jewish culture with the love of Jesus Christ. That was their third way of behaving, their third way of thinking. You see, there's a, a famous passage of scripture that Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to encourage each and every one of us to memorize that very short and simple verse over the course of this summer. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we're going to be looking at how Jesus was the way, Jesus was the truth, and Jesus is the life. Like I said, we looked at the way, and so this month we're going to be looking at how Jesus is the truth, And then in July, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is the life. Well, to kick off this part of the truth, we're going to be specifically starting by looking at how the truth, what Jesus teaches us about the truth of the Trinity. How many of you have heard that phrase, the Trinity? Raise your hand. All right, quite a few of you in here. For many people, the Trinity can be sometimes kind of a confusing concept to understand. We're going to be talking about this idea of the Trinity because this is a very specific thing that the first century Christians believed and passed on all the way to us. You see, when we looked in the way, we talked about how the early Christians behaved and what were some of their ways they behaved. Now we're going to look at the way that they believe. So most of what we're going to be talking about this month is belief versus behaving. So to kick this off, we're going to look at one of the original creeds that the early apostles came together and created. One was called the Apostles' Creed. One was called the Nicene Creed. Both of these were created a long time ago. The Nicene Creed, which is one that I'm going to be quoting here in just a minute, was created when a group of Christians around the 300 AD time period, about 325 specifically, they all got together in a city called Nicaea, which is in a a town in modern Turkey today. And it was all the leading Christians and believers and thinkers of that time. And they were getting together because they were noticing that people were starting to believe differently differently as followers of Jesus. They weren't all united. They weren't all aligned. They weren't all believing the same thing, and this bothered them, and they wanted to kind of remedy that situation. So they met together for a period of time, and after communicating with one another, listening to God, they came up with a credo or a manifesto or a a set of beliefs, and in that set of beliefs, they said, this is what we all believe as followers of the way as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to all be on the same page. We want to be united in our beliefs and in our thinking. I'm not going to read the entire Nicene Creed or Apostles Creed, but on the screen, I want to focus on the specific things that they believed about the Trinity. So you can follow along on the screen as I read this. This is the specific parts about the Trinity. And the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed, they said this, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. So in this statement, in this creed, they boldly proclaimed, we believe in a both and way of thinking. We believe that God is one, but yet God is also three, Father, Son, and Spirit. Why is this an important thing for us to talk about? Why do we need to know what we believe about this and get on the same page? Because Christianity is the only faith, that believes in this idea of the Trinity, of this both-and way of thinking. You see, many of the Eastern religions, like Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, many others, believe in multiple gods. There's an infinite number of gods. If you think back to some of the earliest civilizations that you learned about in school and history, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and later the Romans, the Greeks, they all believed in kind of an unlimited number of gods. That was their thinking. But then along came the Jews, and the Jews said, no, it's, it's not that, it's either or. It's not multiple gods, it's one God. We believe in just one God. And then later, the Muslims believe the same thing. And, and both of them get that belief from this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as a result of that, both Judaism and Islam say, no, there's just one. There's no other way. There's not a both-and way of thinking. And that's what can be somewhat confusing about this. And you see, the idea that Jesus could also be God or be the son of God, and there wasn't just one God, is the reason that Jesus was actually crucified. This is why the Jews were so upset. They crucified Jesus because he claimed to be God. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. So this is a very important topic that we need to talk about. You see, this idea of Trinity, the word itself, is a word from Latin that simply means three, and it means united, three united So where would we find this in the Bible? If we want to kind of look this up, I want you to take out your phones right now. If you have a Bible app, open up the Bible app, and go ahead and search for the word Trinity in the Bible. How many, how many times does the word Trinity appear in the Bible? You can go ahead and do that right now if you want to. You're watching at home. Feel free to do that. How many times does the word Trinity appear in the Bible? I'll give you a couple seconds to look it up. Use any Bible app you want. When you've got the answer, you can go ahead and raise your hand or yell it out, or you can text us if you're watching at home. What's the answer? The answer is zero. That's kind of interesting. Wait a minute. So, Paul, you're going to talk about this belief that you say is so important, but yet the word isn't even in the Bible. Wait, that's a little bit confusing. I don't understand that. Why isn't the word Trinity mentioned in the Bible? Then where does this idea of Trinity come from? Well, we're going to talk about that. But quickly, I want you to see that the idea of Trinity is definitely in Scripture. Maybe the word itself isn't. But even the early followers of Jesus believed in this concept of Trinity, even though the word wasn't in the the New Testament. One of the early Christian fathers, his name was St. Augustine of Hippo, He wrote this down and we have it recorded from around 400 AD. He said, according to the scriptures, Father and Son and Holy Spirit are a divine unity. And therefore, there are not three gods, but one God. Although indeed the Father has begotten the Son, and therefore he who is the Father is not the Son, and the Son is begotten by the Father, and therefore he who is the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, but only the spirit of the Father and of the Son, himself co-equal to the Father and the Son and belonging to the threefold unity. Makes perfect sense, right? I can leave, we can can get out of here. That's a lot. (laughs) That can be kind of confusing. So you're telling me that God is one, but yet God is three? How can that be? I'm not sure I understand that. Is this an either-or thinking, or is this a both-and thinking? Well, Augustine said that this is found in scripture. Let's specifically look at some scriptures that I believe help us to understand that this belief of the Trinity is in the New Testament. We're going to start first of all by looking at Jesus himself. Jesus gives us an example that he believed in the Trinity, that he thought it was real. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, this is a passage called the Great Commission, Jesus says this, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself puts God into those three categories, mentions those three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Next, look at Paul. There's many passages I could quote for Paul, but the one I'm choosing is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So again, we see Paul puts God into these three categories, these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. One more, Peter. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1-2. Those of you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So here again is another example how we can see this concept of God being described as three, even though they believed that God was one. And then finally, I want to share with you what I believe is my favorite passage of Scripture to talk about the concept of the Trinity. It's when we see Jesus getting baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You see, in this passage, we see all three persons of God at one specific point of time in history, all interacting together, yet all being distinct. We see Jesus the Son getting baptized. We see the Spirit of God coming down and lighting on him like a dove. Not, not a dove, but like a dove. And then we see God himself speaking into that moment, saying, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So this one moment in time, we can see all three persons of the Godhead present at the same exact time. Now, for many of us, this idea of three in one is something that can be kind of hard to understand, but yet I believe that God has given us a whole lot of examples in our world about threes and the importance of threes. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a couple examples of how threes are the way that God has kind of set up the world and set up creation, and then I want you to think about some ways in which we've maybe taken the concept of threes without even knowing about it and kind of set up our world that same way as well. Look at a couple of these that are going to appear on the screen. First of all, did you realize that time is divided into three categories? Past, present, and future. The basic building block of atoms has three parts to an atom. Protons, electrons, neutrons. Space is divided into three dimensions. Height, width, and depth. And then matter is separated into solid, liquid, gas. That makes sense to us. We see that. These are all things that God has created. God has set things up in this system of threes. So what I want you to do for a minute, again, is turn and face the people that are sitting next to you. And again, if you're at home, you can talk to the people around you. Come up with a couple examples that you see of things that we have created, not necessarily God, that we've created in this system of threes all in one. So I'll give you about a minute to talk about it. Go for it. All right, here's some examples. Maybe you came up with some of these. Isn't it interesting that we don't have two meals a day or four meals or 10 or 12? Why is it three? It's just a system of three. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now, some of you snack a lot or less, but every culture has always had kind of three meals. It's kind of always. It seems like without even thinking about it. What about other things? Government. When we, when we set up our government here, we chose to set it up how? With three branches. It seemed the best way to do it executive legislative and judicial judicial music this is something that i learned is that a chord is comprised of what three notes you can't have a chord unless you have those three notes a couple other examples parents what are ways that we can answer our kids there's only three ways right yes no and maybe there's no other answers they may want something else but that's it there's only three ways to answer a question and then in language we see in language You can speak in first, second, third person. A paragraph is made up of an intro, body, and conclusion. And there's many other examples. We could go on and on about all these ways that we see the idea of threes in our culture that God created and things that we kind of adopted with this concept of three. So what I want to do is I want to focus on a specific set of three and one specific element. Because for me, I always had a hard time understanding the Trinity, and I'm kind of a visual learner. That really helps me to understand things when I can kind of see it. And so for some of you who've been wondering what are these things up here, I'm going to kind of unveil those and show those to you now. So I believe that God has left us something that's a great illustration of who he is to help us understand this concept of Trinity. The first thing that I want to show you is right here. It's just simply an aquarium full of water, right? Why is, why is water something that I think is so important and something that is kind of an example of who God is. Well, water is the basic resource for life, right? It's the most basic necessity. We need water every single day. We need water to survive. Not only do we need water, water is in and around us everywhere. In fact, for those of you who are kind of science nerds, our human body is made up of 60% of just water. Kind of crazy, 60% of our body is water. The planet that we live on, Earth, its surface, about 70% of it is water. Water is all around us, and I believe God is kind of speaking to us through water all around us. And so I would kind of say this, for just kind of a simple illustration, think of God as a giant bowl of water up in heaven. This is God. God is is liquid. He's fluid. He's hard to, to grasp. I can't, like, catch water. I can't hold on to it. You know, it moves. It changes. It's mysterious. Water is the, the purest element in the world, right? Water cleans everything. God is pure. Water gives us life. It seems like a lot of things about water is similar to what we believe about God. So if God is, is, is this liquid water, then there's this three in one. Let's think about this. What if maybe the second element, here he's going to help this. Thank you, sir. What we have here is we have ice, right? Is ice water? Speak up. Yeah, ice is water. This is made of what? H2O. This is made of what? H2O. It's the exact same thing. It's just in a different form or in a, in a different state. But yet, did we take any O or add any H to this? No, it's the same exact thing, molecularly speaking. In the same way that God and Jesus, I would say this is an example of Jesus, they're both the same thing. They're both God. But this is the Father, this is the Son. It's like for the beginning of time, if you read through the Bible, in the Old Testament, this was all the world knew about God. God only made himself available and known to a few people. A few people got to see God, hear from God. People like Moses, people like the prophets. Everyone else didn't have the opportunity to interact much with God. And so for a short period in time, God said, you know what? I want you to have an opportunity to really see who I am, to know who I am. So it's as if up in heaven, this huge bowl of water that's God, he froze a piece of himself. And Jesus is this ice cube. And ice is tangible. It's solid. We can touch it. We can feel it. For 30 years that Jesus lived, We now knew what what God was like when we listened to Jesus speak, when we watched how he treated other people, when he thought certain things. It was so much easier for those 30 years of Jesus' life for us to be able to know who God was. So here you have an example of God the Father. Here we have possibly God the Son. And then so what's going to be over here? You've been listening God what? The Spirit. Here we got the Spirit. And so the Spirit is a little bit different. It's still God. It's still Jesus. It's mentioned. But just like with water, water can be in three states, solid, liquid, and gas. Here we have what? We can have either steam, or we can have water vapor. And so water vapor or steam is still H2O. It's still the exact same thing It's in a different form. It's in a different state. And and for me to understand this, after the period of Jesus, for those 30 years when he lived, Jesus went on to say, I'm going to be leaving you, and after I leave, there's going to be someone who's going to come after me. It's going to be the comforter. It's going to be the counselor. He's going to guide you. And so when Jesus has left, he said he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come and to help us and to guide us and to lead us. And it's as if God said, only a few people saw me in that age, only a few people who lived around the time of Jesus got to see me here. But now I want everybody to have the opportunity to know me and see me and to experience me. And so God, it's as if he put a huge flame underneath his himself, the bowl of water, and he started to burn off some steam, some water vapor. And he says that anybody who believes in me, you have the opportunity for me to come and live inside your heart as the Holy Spirit. So now we have the opportunity to have God living inside of us as the Spirit. So here you have the Father, the Son, the Spirit. All the same thing, all water, but yet all in kind of different Forms or different states. Now, this isn't obviously the exact way that it could be described, but I think this is the best way that I've ever seen that helps me understand how God can be three and yet God can be one. It's a both and way of thinking. And so, as we kick off this series on the truth, this first week has been about the truth about the Trinity. We need to all be aligned in our belief that God is one, there is only one God that we're to worship. But this one God displays himself in three ways. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to unpack each one of these different persons of God. Next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus specifically, the truth about Jesus as the Son. Then on Father's Day weekend, we're going to be talking about God, the Father, neatness about him. And then the final week in the series, we're going to be talking about the truth about the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like you to do right now, is to just close your eyes and join me in prayer. As you're closing your eyes, I just want you to go to some, some place where you love water. Maybe for some of you it's the ocean. Maybe for some of you it's a lake. Maybe for some of you it's a river or a stream. But just really picture water right now. Be reminded of how much water is all around us. What I'd like you to think about is every time that you see beautiful depiction of water, may it not just remind you about nature, but may it take your heart and your mind. God, Father, dear God, we thank you so much that you make yourself known to us, that you want us to be able to know who you are. You want us to be able to experience you in a real and a personal way. God, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, into this world so that we could know what you're like, God. We would know what you said, how to behave, how you think. And God, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. For we would be lost on our own without the Spirit guiding us, leading us, giving us direction each and every day of our life. Thank you, God, for being willing to live inside of us, a human vessel. God, we love you, we worship you as Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.